Welcome to the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I'm your host, Alana George, and I am obsessed with real estate. Today, I interview Amelia McGee, who is an Instagram friend of mine. We've never actually met. Today was the first time meeting, and I'm so honored that she accepted my invite. I know she spoke on a panel at BPCon. I, she has a pretty large following on Instagram, so I... I'm so excited. She also has her own podcast as well that I listen to. So I'm totally fangirling and I love her. And I'm excited to share with you her story that I uncovered as well of how she went from zero to 38 doors and was able to leave her W-2 job and just be a full-time real estate investor managing those doors. I love it. She's an inspiration and she's giving back to the women community of real estate investors. It's really cool. Let's hop into this interview. All right. I have Amelia McGee here, whom I met on Instagram and we've never actually met before. So this is one of my favorite types of interviews is just like on the spot. Who are you? And welcome, Amelia. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I think this will be a good podcast because yeah, we don't know each other that well other through than through Instagram. So I'm excited to get to know each other better. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this for a while and I've been creeping on you on Instagram <laughs> and I'm like any day now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's like my favorite thing to meet other women who invest in real estate. I just love it. It like fuels my fire. So I'm happy to be on the podcast. Yes. I'm so happy you're here on the Obsessed with Real Estate show. You're in the right place. So Amelia, tell me a bit about you, your background. What, Where were you at when you found real estate investing and why real estate investing spoke to you? Yeah. So a little bit about me. I'm 31 years old and I live in Des Moines, Iowa, which is the capital of Iowa. I was born and raised here in the Midwest. And I started investing in October of 2020 with my first buy and hold rental, which was a triplex. But prior to that, I had actually flipped a house with my parents. So I used that money then to buy that triplex because during the process of flipping a house, I realized that that was a full-time job in and of itself and wasn't really something I was interested in. And so quickly pivoted into buy and hold rentals. That is amazing. And <laughs> I want to hear more about your parents. Is this what they did or they stumble into that and you were helping? That's a really good question. So my parents actually didn't have any experience in real estate investing other than they're both very handy people. And so my mom likes to say that we've never moved into a move-in ready house. They've always bought fixer-uppers and then fixed them up themselves as we've lived in the property. So right. they're very handy. It took me probably two years to convince them to flip a property with me. We love to watch the HGTV shows together. You know, there's a couple mother-daughter couples on there that flip properties. So we decided that we could do it. And then it was just convincing my dad to get on board with us, which took a while. But just to give you like a frame of reference for what you can buy properties for in Iowa and how low risk these investments were, we purchased the property for $30,000 and we put around 30000 into the property. It was a four bedroom, two bathroom. 
and we sold it for 120. So before taxes, we made about 60,000. So we doubled our investment basically. So that is beautiful. I love it. So we, before we hopped on the call, I was kind of like trying to get my geography together and you're in Iowa and Des Moines. Mm -hmm. And it's right next to Illinois. I've looked at prices in Illinois, but the, the property taxes were so high that the numbers didn't make sense. Is Iowa the same or is that lower? It depends on the area. So this wasn't in, this was in a more rural, rural community or a mm -hmm. smaller town. So the property taxes are not extremely high here. Which in with Des Moines. A flip, it, with a yeah. Flip, and the flip probably doesn't matter, but I'm thinking long-term. Yeah. For my buy-in holds in the smaller towns that I buy in, the property taxes are pretty low. In the big in Des Moines and some of the bigger cities, they are higher, but still they aren't astronomical like some of the some of the states in the United States. So yeah. Awesome. Okay. That was just for my own information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially like in Illinois, if you're looking in like Cook County, which is where Chicago is, or like some of those really large metropolitan areas property taxes are outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So it sounds like I kind of already know your first deal, I would say would probably be the flip. And you learned that that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I was still working a full-time job at that point. That's something I forgot to mention. I am a full-time real estate investor at this point, but yeah. prior to that, I was, you know, a weekend warrior slash evenings, uh, so all of my time was basically spent, all my free time was spent flipping that property. Oh my gosh. I admire you and that. I always think that I'm so handy and I'm so not handy at all. <laughs> I can be, but at this point, I just don't even want to be like, all right now, this is why I look like I do. I'm down working on a project on a triplex burr that we're currently trying to fix up and I was like taping a wall and I was like, this is terrible. Like this isn't even handy, but I was just like, I don't want any part in rehabs anymore. I just hate it. I hate it so much. Even taping a wall was like too much for me. Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel like, you know, it's a, the time money exchange. And at some point you get to the point where it just makes more sense to not be doing the things yourself. So then from the flip, you moved on and you bought a triplex, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, that was in the same area. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And was that a live-in? I mean, did you owner occupy that or just as a investment? So it wasn't a live-in or a house hack. It was strictly an investment property. It Yes, it's a triplex and I purchased it for $78,000. So it, yeah, right. Mouth drop, <laughs> jaw drop. Yeah. And it, it, it the price, and again, this is in a smaller town in Iowa. This is not Des Moines, the capital. Although you can still buy fairly decently priced properties in Des Moines. But mm -hmm. so this ended up being like an inadvertent burr. And if you aren't quite sure what burr is, it's a buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat strategy that real estate investors use to basically fix up a property and then pull their capital back out and reuse it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I had it under contract for 78,000. It ended up appraising for 92,000. And so the bank allowed me to basically do 80% LTV of 92,000, which gave me some money for renovations and things like that, because 
it did need some cosmetic work. So that was great. I ended up like having very little money left in that deal and was able to recycle it for another multifamily purchase. That is beautiful. If you could pull out like nuggets from that first triplex deal, nuggets that you learned, what would they be? Oh my gosh, so many. And the number one thing is quite frankly, just getting started. I remember being so nervous to buy that first property. I purchased it by myself and knew that I was going to have to do the work by myself. But number one thing is just getting over that first initial hurdle and and buying a property because you're going to learn so much more by just doing it. The second is you have to be able to pivot and be creative as a real estate investor. I think that's so important. And if you're someone that just quits when something goes wrong, like (laughs) this probably isn't the profession for you because things are going to go wrong. Guaranteed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just have to like think on your feet quickly and get it figured out. And the third, which is kind of funny is don't rent out an apartment before you've closed on it because that happened to me. And this was during the time when appraisals were taking forever to get back and things. And, but I was so excited to get renters in there because two of the three units were vacant when I purchased it. Actually, all three were. All three units were. One, the, one person moved out like the day after I purchased it, which I knew. And so I was like, well, I have to get renters in immediately and get them cash flowing. So before I'd even closed on the property, I'd already like advertised it for rent and had it like listed. And yeah. so then when the appraisal wasn't going to get on time, I had to like pivot quick and just like, you know, do all the things. So it's just like, just be a little bit patient. If you're like me and you're really impatient, like just settle down a little bit, like (laughs) take a deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would have been a problem for the tenant too. Right. Because yeah, facing their move around when you say it's available and then surprise, it's not available. And it's kind of a floating target as well. Close dates. It's, it's never an exact science. So that would lead to unhappy tenants. Yeah. Everything got figured out though. Oh, another thing I, I have a coin operated laundry room on the property and it got robbed within like three days of me owning it. So it's like, and like when you're a new investor, that seems like the end of the world, right? Like, oh my gosh, my tenants are going to feel unsafe now because somebody broke into the laundry room, blah, blah. It ended up just being a previous tenant who had been kicked out and was really terrible, which is why I asked for the property to be vacant when I bought it because yeah. I didn't want to inherit them. But like still, when you're just getting started out, you're like, it's like anxiety inducing to have any little thing go wrong. So you get through yeah. it though. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, for me, I listened to so many podcasts before buying my first rental, which was also a burr and out of state. And I listened to books. I listened to podcasts and everybody's story was so like littered with things going wrong. Right. And overcoming challenges. And, um, and so when the challenges came up, I didn't feel as shocked by them or surprised because like, this is, you know, this is what I heard happens, right? (laughs) So trying to keep that mindset, it it, it got, it was almost comical and got to a point of like, well, what next? What next? Because I was just thinking, okay, well, this will just add to my story. You know, (laughs) when I eventually get interviewed about this, right? (laughs) 
100%. I used to be the same way. And now I'm so much more just like chill and relaxed. Like I had a tenant the other day that asked if I changed the locks because their key wasn't working. And this is for a multifamily where there's like a common area that has a lock. And old Amelia, beginner Amelia would have freaked out, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I got to get over there right away and get it figured out. And all he responded was no. And they (laughs) just don't have time. And they got it figured out like 30 seconds later, you know, like chances are they'll be able to figure it out. But like, it's just like, oh my gosh, you just, you, you realize that big little things are not a big deal. You know what else? This is like terrible to say, but I know that landlords get a really bad reputation in the yeah. you know, rental or renter community as just being people that don't care, right? Short, if if they ever reply. And so right. sometimes I think about these terrible landlords when I get so like people pleasy frantic in those moments or when I have, when something goes wrong and I'm like, I got to fix it right now. I got to fix it myself. I got to find, buy a ticket to fly to Ohio to change these locks or whatever. Right. Which is totally unrealistic and unnecessary. And I think about, I mean, not that it's making me a worse landlord, but like these tenants are, some of them that I have or inherited are very much used to their landlord, not even replying. And here I'm like, freaking out because I physically can't fix it for them. And it's just like two opposite ends of the spectrum. So I try to find somewhere in between that's calm and collected. But yeah, I think of those landlords, like if they can do this and they're terrible, then me who at least cares can overcome this, right? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And it, I really think being a landlord is a customer service-based business. So it always like shocks me that when I hear of like terrible landlords and honestly, like that story about the key, part of me was just like, this is terrible, but just like almost the stupidity or like, like, why would I change the locks without telling you, you use that door literally every single day. Like, I'm like, no, I do not have time for that. Yeah. Like, why would I change the locks? You pay, like, it's not like, you know, an illegal eviction or anything where you aren't paying rent. So I would have a reason to lock you out. It's just like, for some reason, their key was like not fitting perfectly and it wasn't working. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's just the (laughs) go-to. Like, it's not me. It's the lock. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, um, Another thing about my story is at this point, I have 36 doors and I self-manage all of them. So I do, I do get like those tenant texts and tenant calls and things to where some days I'm just like, (laughs) some days you're just like not in the mood to be, you know, dealing with that, but it's your job. So you got to respond, you know, in some way or another. Yeah. You have to let them make them know that they're heard. Mm -hmm. So that's actually my next question. It's funny that you just jumped into it because I was just going to ask you about your current portfolio. So right now you're at 36 doors and you're self-managing those. And I want to hear a couple things. What's the makeup of those 36 doors? And also how much time do you spend a week managing? Yes. I get that question a lot, actually. So the makeup of the 36 doors, first of all, it's a mixture between 
midterm rentals, one short-term rental, and the others are all long-term rentals. The properties consist of quite a few smaller multifamilies, so triplex, quadplex. We have a smattering of those. A handful of single families. I think there's probably seven single families. And then I own an 11 unit apartment. So that makes up around a third of my portfolio. I've been able to purchase seven of those by myself. And then I've partnered on the rest. So I think that's very like, I want to be transparent about that. I have partners, which you can scale a lot quicker because people eventually, you eventually run out of money. So Mm -hmm. do you want to, you know, stop and wait to get more money or are you open to partnering? And I was open to partnering to be able to keep growing. So, so I want to dive a little bit into that and then we'll circle back, I guess, to the hours you spent on property management, but how did you find these partners and, and how did that go? Did you just say like, Hey, you want to invest in real estate? Like let's hook up. Like how did, how did you make that connection? So like I said, I partnered with my parents on a flip and after that I bought a triplex and then I bought a quadplex by myself and my parents were kind of watching. They were getting close to retirement age. Also, my parents made a decent living, but they're not like, they do not make multi six figures. Like they're their normal Iowa parents. They had a 401k saved, you know, like typical retirement plan, work at the same place for 45 years, then retire. So they're getting close to retirement age and they saw me, you know, buying rental properties and making money off of it. And they kind of started thinking like, hey, instead of us flipping, which is a lot of work, maybe we should partner and buy rental properties because, and we talked about this before the podcast, but they were going to retire two or three years early. So they were going to have to pay for their own health insurance to cover before they qualified for Medicare or whatever. And so they wanted something to be able to cover their insurance premiums before they turned 65. So they thought if we buy a couple rental properties, their cash flow from those will pay for our insurance premiums. That was their thinking. Hey, that, this could be a good option. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I we purchased a couple properties, 50-50 together. I don't know how many, like eight. And that's how I brought on my first partners, which were my parents. Yeah. It, that's it's really cool. Well. Yeah. So if it's not your parents, just find somebody with bills needing to be paid and then say, hey, here's the yeah. way that those exactly. can be paid each month. Right? I think it's yeah and also I think it's really important that I personally believe that you should invest by yourself first even if it's just for one deal or two prior to getting a partner one yeah. that gives you proof of concept two it, do you even like investing you know three you know you're using your own money so it's not as stressful when you bring on partners and somebody else's money is involved that adds another element of stress to the situation because you don't want to be bringing somebody on and then lose their money, you know? So, um, and you know, if they can see what you're doing and that you're successful with it, it's an easier conversation to have. Yes. Bringing another partner on. 
Right, right. Because you already have a bit of a track record. You have the confidence. You probably already have a little bit more of the systems and the kinks worked out. I think that that's great advice. And any partner you bring on, your parents or strangers or anybody has adds that level. Like if I brought on my parents, I wouldn't want to, to let them down any more than I would want to let down you know, somebody else. So there's, there's actually not a level of comfort. I almost feel, would feel more pressured it being my parents and their retirement or whatever. Yeah. Right. Cause then I'll see them all the time at it's holidays. <laughs> yeah. And partnering with family isn't for everyone. I've heard from quite a few investors that have partnered with family in the past and it hasn't worked out. Yeah. My parents and I have, you know, a very good relationship open. We've talked about money our whole lives, et cetera. Like, so mm-hmm. it wasn't a weird transition, but for some families, it, it doesn't yeah. work. And it's better to partner with a complete stranger. Yeah. You know? So know your family for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. So let's circle back to the property management. I'm really interested in the 36 stores that you manage. So I manage my five and that takes up a good chunk of my time each week. I'm also in the process. I'm switching one long-term uh, and I've been saying this for a long time because it's been a long process to a midterm. Uh, so I'm doing a remodel and then we furnished it and just getting it prepped and ready to go. So that takes up time as well, but you know, it does take up a lot of my time. And in 36, I kind of always imagine I would have at that amount of doors, I would hire a property manager, but, um, I also feel, feel like I could do it too. So tell me about that experience. Yeah. So I would, I think eight of the doors are midterm rentals, which take more time than long-term. Obviously mm-hmm. you're going to have a higher turnover midterm rental. Just a quick rundown is a three to, you know, it's a 30 day to 90 day stay of a furnished unit, generally traveling nurses, but there's lots of other people renting midterm rentals. So you are having, you know, a more frequent turnover. You have to schedule cleaners, just different things like that. So I have eight of those and then the one short-term rental. And then what does that make? Like 25 or some long-term rentals. Total each week, I'm probably only spending five to 10 hours managing those. And some weeks it's zero, like five to 10 is like an average of the whole year, you know, and that includes me having to run to the properties or let a handyman in or whatever it might be. But yeah, I'm really not spending that much time self-managing, which is why I am a huge proponent of self-managing. If I was to pay, you know, 10% to a property manager for my long-term rentals, that would be you know, at least 2,500 a month. And then for my midterm, it's probably more like 15%. So I don't even know what that would be, but like, I'd be spending probably like four to 5k a month just on property management. So to me, it's not worth it. I want to keep that money in house, at least at this point in my life. When you underwrite these deals, do you underwrite with property management expenses or no? I don't. I know that a lot of investors do, but I don't currently, all of the deals that I do have, like all of the properties I have, if I built in a property manager, they would still cash flow just fine. So I guess inadvertently I am, but I'm not like physically writing that into my numbers. I just, I'm not buying anything that cash flows less than like 350 a door at this point. So right. So if I paid a hundred bucks a month to a property manager, it's, you know, 250 still. Yeah. Yeah. That would still work out. 
just knowing the numbers that I know. Cool. So did we talk about what are your current challenges with this stage in your real estate career? Yeah. So it's not in my nature to actually think about that. I <laughs> I don't know if you're, you're like, so positive and yeah. sunshine. <laughs> so it's actually a bad thing. I'm like negative emotion avoidant. I'm on Enneagram seven. If anybody on here like follows the Enneagram. And so Basically, though, my biggest challenges right now that I'm thinking about it is truthfully deciding, do I want to keep growing and do I want to keep like, do I want to get to over 100 doors or am I fine just staying small and mighty and being able to truly live a life of financial freedom and freedom from having to spend a ton of time working? I have a lot of hobbies that I love to do. So my goal with like real estate investing is basically to have time to do whatever I want outside of work. Um, and that's why I started investing is was to be able to quit my full-time job and just live a life of freedom. I appreciate you sharing that because I do think that that is a challenge, right? And I is it sometimes it's like, is it my ego that wants to get bigger faster or do, is that what I genuinely want? Because I do love obviously growth, growth is life, but the same as you with the goals of real estate investing is to have time freedom. I want time freedom. I want geographic freedom, right? So all, all of the freedoms, give me them. But yeah. yeah, I have to constantly ask myself like, you know, and I, I faced that with my real estate sales career of like, you know, growth, 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 growth. And I was in a coaching program that actually, you know, it was very growth oriented, which was great, but it got to a point where I was like crazily evaluating everything I did about whether it was a dollar producing activity or not. And it got to be a, it, it, it I realized it like not everything in life has to be a dollar producing activity. I can just actually enjoy taking my daughter to the grocery store without feeling like I'm wasting my time picking out pickles. That's fascinating. Honestly, that's fascinating because I think a lot of people can get into that mindset, but nobody really talks about it. And it's so true, especially I feel like within the last like three years or so, I've just noticed people are just constantly like, they're so transactional based. Everything's a transaction. And it's like, there's more to life than that. You know, yes, we want to grow and we want to, you know, be successful as humans, but also like, you got to enjoy life too. Yeah. It's weird. And I always, I know that I enjoy growth. And so it's like, I am enjoying life, but it's also like, I want I want to grow, grow, grow. So at some other point I could do the things I want instead of realizing like I can do things that I want right now and I can enjoy this season of my life. And so that it doesn't pass by and I regret not actually being present. Like that's a huge fear of mine, right? Mm -hmm. It's like looking back and like, I was so mentally checked out when I was home or when I was with my family thinking about my to-do list, I'm a psycho to-do list person. (laughs) So at any given time, I have my Asana checklist with like 15 unchecked boxes. And so I just like, that was a realization I had to come to. And, you know, that's very much a challenge and where you want to go now that you've achieved this is a challenge. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Yeah. I, I see it as a challenge for sure. How I'm handling it right now is just really making very strategic purchases. Like I said earlier, like I'm only looking for a minimum of 350 a door and that's like bare minimum and a 20% cash on cash return, which you can get here in Iowa. But like, I'm not buying a single family that's only going to cash flow 150 bucks a month. Like it's just not worth it for me at this point. So There's an investor that I really love. His name is Chad Carson, and he's the small but mighty investor. And his philosophy is all about how you can make the most money with the least amount of doors, essentially. And there's a couple different methods that he talks about. But if you're interested, definitely check him out. Yeah, I'm going to have to look him up. Yeah, he's a lesser known like investor. I mean, he's still pretty big, but he's not like one of those gurus out there that's like trying to sell you a $10,000 course or whatever. So yeah, yeah, I admire him for that. So yeah, I was, when I said, when I said 10, I was like, I really undersold that. Yeah. Yeah. 20,000 is more, more like it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to look him up and does he have a book or is it a podcast? He does. He has a book, Instagram. I think he did YouTube. He does YouTube. So he's got all the things, but yeah, Chad Carson. All the things I'll include some of those things. Like I'll look up his book and then include it in the show notes. That would be really cool. So tell me now, now that we've heard, you know, where you came from, where you're at now, kind of what you're working through internally, what is your advice to the newbie or the college graduate on maybe where to go from here and how to get into real estate investing? I think my biggest regret with investing in real estate is that I didn't buy a house hack right out of college after I got my first full-time job. So I'm 31 now when you graduate college, you're what, 22, 23. So thinking back, I'm like, man, if I would have purchased a quadplex at that time and lived in one of the units, my living expenses probably would have been zero, which would have accelerated my savings rate, you know, at X amount. And then I could have lived there for a year or two and then bought another quad. It's just like the younger you can get started and specifically with a house hack, where your expenses can be zero or close to zero. It's such a great way to accelerate your growth basically. So yes. Or even like, I I mean, I hear about people doing that in college and then renting the other rooms out to other students. And I just think that's so brilliant. And what was I doing? I know that's actually one of my goals eventually when I do have kids is to be able to buy houses wherever they go to college and then have them live there and rent out the other rooms to their friends so that they're basically able to live you know for free plus I have this appreciating property hopefully Mm -hmm. that I can sell at the end of the four years or keep you know or whatever so not exactly the same as like them purchasing it but like I I want to be in a financial position to be able to do that for my children yeah I think that that is really cool. And college is so expensive. That's oh my gosh. True. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of debate right now. Do you even need to go to college? But that's a whole nother topic. You know, like I definitely, I went to college for marketing. I loved my college experience. It was so fun. Did I go to class that much? I don't remember. Like probably not. <laughs> it was in marketing. So it wasn't that hard, but yeah, I think it, 
I still value that degree. And I do think that I use it somewhat in real estate investing, but I think I could definitely be just as successful without it too. So, (laughs) well, you know, there's definitely value to it in one way or another. I've shared on the show a few different times that I did not finish college. So I got pretty close to transferring from a junior college, but I did not actually go. I lived right next to one and acted like I went there, but I didn't actually go and uh, had a lot of the experience, not the full experience, but (laughs) I think that the true value, I mean, the education is great, but if we're looking at money, you don't necessarily need it to make money. If you want to, you know, a lot of fields you want to get into, yes, that's the minimum standard. But I think that it's the experience of just going and being there. And Mm -hmm. that's a whole, like we were talking about season of life, unfortunately is outrageously expensive, but I do think that there's a lot of value in, in, in the experience of going, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And just like the connections that you make with your classmates is, I mean, even I still have contact with some of the my classmates and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never would have thought 10 years ago that this guy that I was doing beer bongs with would now be like, <laughs> you know, somebody else who's in the real estate world yes. that like I have a connection to. So yeah, I think it's valuable yeah. for those reasons. Yeah, definitely. Facebook helped that a whole lot because I totally remember those nights and I'm like, let's be friends. (laughs) And then like, who's this? But I followed them. We met one night. I'm like wishing them happy birthday every year. And (laughs) and it's weird, but yeah, for the networking, definitely that, that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. So, okay. So that would be your advice. House hack ASAP. Yeah, definitely. I love it. Great. Now, this is probably one of the more uncomfortable questions. <laughs> oh boy. I love being uncomfortable. <laughs> Not, I like avoid it at all costs. <laughs> well, don't get up and run out. I want to hear, this is your humble brag moment. I don't feel like we toot our own horns very often. We talk a lot about real estate. You've achieved a lot with that. Like I like I'm proud of you for doing that just at, you know, a similar aged woman, like, yeah, you go girl. And, but I want to hear from you something that big or small that you're proud of. So this is your little humble brag moment Toot your own horn Toot toot, go. Okay. So something I haven't mentioned yet in the podcast is I'm also a co-founder of the wire community. It stands for women invest in real estate an online community for women investors or aspiring investors. And it really started as a passion project between my friend Grace and I, who felt like there wasn't a community of women that we resonated with that were young and lively and just getting started. And so we decided to say like, basically F it, like, let's just start this. And so it was a free community for probably a year. We did monthly meetups online. This was during 2021. So COVID was still kind of going on. And then we actually decided one day, like, Hey, we think there's a market for in-person retreats. Let's host one and see how it goes. We had no clue what we were doing, but we both had a following on Instagram and we made some really great connections with women. And so we said, hey, we're going to host a retreat in February of 2022 in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. If you want to come, Venmo us 
So I think it was like $750. And we sold out within two days. We sold out wow. to 18 women. And so we're like, wow. And we were operating it basically at a break even. Like we weren't even really making money off that retreat. You but could like, have charged $20,000. I, I know, right? But like, I'm just so proud of us for like taking that leap. We basically were just like, let's just do it. Like we don't have any plan, but we can figure it out. We know there's a need for this. And we've since hosted three retreats and we've sold out of each one of them. They're like the highlight of my whole entire year. They're just amazing weekends, really making like solid connections with 15 other women who are doing the exact same thing that you are doing or want to be doing. And a lot of women, I think, in real life don't have friends that want to talk about business or money or real estate or growth or goals. And those weekends are basically three days of nonstop talking about business. And it's just so invigorating. So I'm really proud of us for that. Yeah, that is huge. (laughs) I love it. That is beautiful and amazing that you had started this. And I agree on so many levels. And it's the reason why, one of the reasons I started this podcast in general is because I want to talk about real estate. I want to, and in my my first episode, people have been quoting it back to me all the time about, you know, going to family or friends events and the women just aren't talking about real estate and the men will, but you know, I, I try to sneak over there. And so, you know, I really want to start the conversation in with women more. And I want I want investing and goal setting and big picture talk to be happening in my life and in general in the women community more. And I think that that's really huge to do, not just the community, but the events. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. It is, but it's so like life-giving that it just feels like it's nothing like it's just so fun. So yeah, we have another retreat coming up in Salt Lake City in March. I think we have five spots left. Like we'll sell out within the next month, probably. Oh, for sure. Um, But we're really excited about it. And yeah, like we, I'm so passionate about connecting with other women in real estate. I love my guys. Don't get me wrong. But like, there's something about connecting with women who are on the same wavelength as, as you, that's like just so invigor, like it's invigorating. I don't know how else to say it, you know? Yeah, I agree. So I have my home girls. We're four realtor investors that we meet every quarter. And then we actually text each other every day, our top priorities for the day, probably over the top, but you know, when we get together, we talk about like each quarter is a different like topic besides our goals, but you know, what's your net worth? What, what are your goals for 2023? What, what are your budgeting? And it's just like money talk. And I don't yeah. get that. If, if I don't have a group to talk about that with, it might not even, the planning might not even happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Just exactly. by myself. So yes, we do love the men and the men listeners. Thank you for listening. This is not a a podcast specific to women. You know, I just happen to be a woman and um, I do like talking to other women. So I think that is huge. And if you're listening to this and you're interested, I'll plug it now and at the end of the show, but definitely follow the Instagram handle, which was wire with two eyes, right? Yep. Dot community. Dot community. Yeah. Yeah. And that retreat will probably be sold out by the time this airs, 
but I should come get off tonight and sign up. <laughs> I know. Here, let me just put this on pause. Just kidding. Uh, seriously, we would love to have you. I think you would have a blast. Yes. Did you say that was um, March, May, April? It's March. I think it's March 2nd through 5th in Salt Lake City. We okay. have this giant bougie mansion that we rented. So it's going to be really fun. Okay. I will get back to you on that. Thanks for sharing that. And I would love to hear what inspires you. What inspires Amelia or what has been your biggest inspiration? Yeah. So starting out, I think my biggest inspiration was honestly other women investors that I was following on Instagram. I was that person that followed people for probably like two years before I ever invested. And I was just like silently watching in the background. Um, I followed a lot of like DIY investors because that really resonated with me. That's how I got my start. And the first one that I ever remember following was investor girl Brit. And she has grown exponentially at this point. And now she does syndications and much bigger projects, but she started very similar to how I started. And so truthfully, like people that were only a couple steps ahead of where I was, were my biggest inspirations because that seemed attainable to me. You know, those people that own 250 doors or however, like that's so far out of reach for me. And also, do I even want to get to that point that they're not really inspirational to me? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like the Grant Cardone's, like I get really motivated, but it doesn't resonate on like the same level as somebody like Investor Girl Brett. We're like, oh, she's doing that. I could do that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. There's, there were a couple more that some of them aren't even active on social media anymore. Cause this was back, like, I don't know, probably six years ago at this point, but yeah, just like silently watching in the background, seeing what they were up to, even though I wasn't doing anything yet, I was still learning and absorbing that information for future use. I love that. Do you have anything, I mean, besides the Instagram accounts, but like, you know, book recommendations or podcast recommendations that you could give the listeners? So I love reading. I will say that I only have read like a handful of real estate investing books because I'm like a hands-on learner. I just was like, okay, I know enough to be like dangerous. So I'm going to just do it, which I think is actually a great way to get started. Otherwise you can definitely get into that analysis paralysis situation. But I did listen to a lot of podcasts and my number ones were obviously the Bigger Pockets podcasts. So, you know, they're OG. And then I probably listened to every single rookie episode up until I started investing. So Bigger Pockets, I'm like, you don't really need to reinvent the wheel. Bigger Pockets has a lot of what you're going to need. And so that's where I found most of my information. Yeah, I wish that I had been listening to. I, I think it existed, but I wish that I, when I was like younger, I was aware of bigger pockets just because of the amount of information they give. And, you know, and, and now like be just being aware of different strategies that I could have used right back when the market was a lot cheaper than it is now. 
I have no, I don't even remember how I first stumbled across bigger pockets. I'm like, but I bet I can figure out how, like I Google everything. So I probably just like was Googling, like, how do you get rich with real estate investing? <laughs> and bigger pockets probably popped up, you know, like, or yeah. some obscure question like that. And yeah. I'm sure that was like the number one resource. How could I uh, quit my job? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, that's probably what it was, honestly. So if you're, yeah, if you don't already know about bigger pockets, you gotta, you yeah, gotta get checked that. that out. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Which I think we both went to BPCon, but we did not run into each other, right? Oh yeah, yeah, you were there. Yes, I did um, go. Yes, I had so much fun at BPCon. I was on the rookie panel actually, and that was a good time. Oh, but cool. the best part about being at BPCon was just again, it was the connections that you got to meet, make with all the other people there. Yeah, totally. I agree. Tell me a bit about something that you're currently obsessed with. Okay. So other than real estate investing and making money, those are like my, obviously my top two, like I live and breathe for that, but I love sports. I'm really into playing sports, watching sports. My current obsessions are pickleball and golf. I really love pickleball and I really love golf. So any chance that I get to do those two things, I'm all over it, which is part of the reason why I like being self-employed is because I have a lot of time to indulge in my hobbies. And those are two of them. I love it. I just found out what pickleball was yesterday by the it's, way. It is like, okay, if you are like looking to invest in something like pickleball, anything to do with pickleball, like get on it because it's like the number one fastest growing sport in yeah. the world. Yeah. I, I had seen it a couple places and I'm like, what is pickleball? What is pickleball? And finally, somebody described it to me yesterday at, as if table tennis and regular tennis had a baby. Pretty much with the wiffle ball. With the wiffle yeah. ball. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. It's yeah. a great workout and it's fun. Yeah. So. That's, that sounds fun. And there's places you go. Yeah. Like so there's, yep. Courts Des Moines has really been putting a lot of money into building outdoor free courts for anyone to cool. use. And then you, there's also like paid courts around the area as well. So. Okay. So another like random question, (laughs) tell me a boring fact or something that people generally don't know about you. Yeah. So I think on the intake form, like we talked about, I put, I love watching red zone on Sundays. I just red zone football. I love football. We're a big football family. My brother played D one college football, but that's, I, I already said, I love sports. So that doesn't really count. Another fact about me that's boring. Well, it doesn't have to be like boring. It's just like random or not real estate related. Yes. Okay. Let's see. I, okay. This is a good fact. I'm completely personal debt free. I think that it's not real estate related, but it also (laughs) goes with my story. It's also money related. And I was so gung ho about being debt free before I started investing. And I think that served me well, although I know that that's not for everyone, but for me, like I've always been money oriented. I was like the little kid that would count their piggy bank every single night, even though it didn't change at all. 
And so like, I've always just been of that mindset. And so, yeah, that's also something I'm really proud of that I paid off college, my college debt, you know, within five years, I think. And I was definitely penny pinching and eating ramen noodles and tuna packets, but we got it done. So I always want to ask people this and whether it's appropriate or not, how do you feel about, you know, what was pending and now on pause about, you know, the the government giving people money for, to pay off their student loans, being that you worked so hard to not have debt? I, that's a good question. That's a tricky one. I'm all for it. Like I, that's just of my opinion, honestly, it's $10,000, which to me, that's like not that much money. And, but it is a lot of money to some people, like that could really help someone out. So I personally, this is my personal opinion. I don't feel any animosity to somebody that would be receiving it um, because it's not relevant to me anymore. Like I've already paid it off. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But like at the same time, I'm not going to withhold something awesome that could be awesome for somebody just because, you know, I'm not on the receiving end of it. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a cool philosophy to have. And I think in my opinion, the whole, like you said, penny pinching, probably ramen eating experience that you went through was actually where the real value was and the ability to do that and proving to yourself that that is what you're capable of, you know, the challenge of it and you overcame it. I think that that has, you know, the bigger impact, um, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, but yeah, I can see both sides of it. It just personally, like, People get so bent out of shape, I think, about so many different things. Yeah. And to me, that's just not something I really have that much of an opinion on to get worked up about. Again, I like to avoid negative emotions. Yeah, I was going to say, well, we already know. (laughs) So it's just like, I just don't care enough to get super worked up about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have real big picture thinking with that. That's really Yeah. Okay. I just want to ask because, yeah, you know, I'm an open book. You can ask me any kind of questions you want. (laughs) Okay. Good. Good. Awesome. Well, let's see. Next question is what is next for you? What's next on the horizon? Yeah. So like we talked about earlier, I'm very much in that place where it's like making very strategic purchases versus quantity at this point. And so for me, really what's next is one, making purchases where I'm making either a ton of cash flow or a really good cash on cash return. I'd also really like to get into passive syndication investing where I can just give my money to somebody else and have them give me a return. And then my third would be, I would actually love to turn into a private money lender versus being the one using the private money. Because again, it's a, it's a very passive form of income. And that's kind of what I want to transition into. If you haven't figured out by this point, listening in, like my goal is not to be working forever. Like I'm very much feel like there's a life outside of work. And so I like to play and I want my money to work for me. So syndicating and then private money, not being a syndicator myself, but giving a syndicator my money to invest. That 
is amazing and great goals to have. And it sounds like, you know, you have an idea and a direction of your life that, you know, at 31 is really cool to have, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't believe I'm already 31, but it feels good to have worked really hard for like three or four years to be at this point. So obviously, yeah. you know, I have a very long-term boyfriend and we would love to start a family fairly soon. So mm. just being able to have a ton of time to spend on my family means a lot to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely recommend that you're going to need time and patience and creativity. Everything you learned in real estate investing, just apply it to parenthood. You know, things will go wrong. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> have a lot of experience. <laughs> a lot of experience with pivoting. Yeah, yeah, you will be fine. Thank you so much, Amelia. I really appreciate you being on here. Before I let you go, if you want to just plug one more time where people can follow you, get more information about the Wire community and just, you know, maybe reach out and say hello. Yeah, so my Instagram is Amelia Joe, which is just J-O-R-E-I. A lot of people think my last name is Joe Ree, but it's not. <laughs> it's McGee, all of those rhymes. So that's kind of funny. It's Amelia Joe REI. And then womeninvestinrealestate.com is our website for wire. So again, womeninvestinrealestate.com. And then yeah, wire.community on Instagram. You can find me on all those places. I'm not really active on Facebook. So don't try to find me on there because you won't be able to. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for the disclaimer. Yeah. And I will put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Amelia. This has been a pleasure getting to know you and meeting you and not just watching you from afar on Instagram. <laughs> now we can, I can say that we're, this is at least our friend. <laughs> yeah. We're online friends now. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a face to face. So this is pretty cool. And again, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing for the real estate and the women in real estate community. You're rocking it out. And I'm so excited to see how the Salt Lake event turns out and to see your journey. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Thank you. Well, that is it for our episode with Amelia McGee. I am feeling inspired and I want to definitely up my action to get to her level and be able to like, be a full-time investor and financially free. That sounds amazing. I hope you're just as inspired and you take action from this call today. It can be baby steps, right? Sometimes we see people, as we talked on the podcast, that are so much further than we are that it seems impossible. But let me tell you that you can do one thing today to get into real estate investing if you haven't already. Just analyze one deal, reach out to one lender, reach out to one agent, look at your budget, where you know where could you save money? You can do it. I believe in you. Reach out to me if you need some help. And if you did enjoy this show, I would love, 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 love for you to leave a five-star review. This will help me reach more people and hopefully share these awesome investor stories and inspire other people to, to you know, create the life, the life that they deserve and desire. Let's live life by design and not default. 
Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, like all of the above. I appreciate the support. If you want to connect with me, you can always head over to the podcast website, obsessedwithrealestateshow.com, where you can apply to be a guest. You can just reach out and say hello, or you can find our book recommendation links. Also, I'm on Instagram, Alana George underscore real estate. Send me a message, follow me. I would love to hear from you. As well as if you're interested in investing with me on any future syndications or just want to see what they look like, please go to my website clearconnectioncapital.com where you can submit to be an investor and have a one-on-one with me. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And I will see you on the next show.